0: Last week, Pastor Jordan set up this sermon really well. He talked about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And at the end of it, he mentioned that Jews, many of the Jews were believing in Jesus because of what he had done. And as you might imagine, news is spreading quickly. In those days, uh, obviously, news spread face to face. You know, people would be like, did you hear... What Jesus did. He raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And so this, this is a week later, and it's happening kind of in the perfect amount of time, right? Because by this time, probably everyone in the city has heard what's gone on, and there have been a few days of people just expecting, uh, expecting Jesus, because it says in a few, a few verses after his text, it says that they knew that he was going to be coming to Jerusalem, and so the Jews, they're starting to pour in, because Jesus is their Messiah, and it says, it says that he's going to be there for Passover, and so they're saying, okay, let's go, we're going we're to welcome our King, our Messiah, into Jerusalem, and that's where we are today. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. You're welcome to turn there, it'll be on the screen as well. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for coming to visit us. We thank you that our king has come. Lord, I pray uh, that this morning you would teach us from your word, that you would allow our, our imaginations, our emotions, our minds to be captured and transformed and molded by your scriptures by the power of your spirit. Pray that you would be with us, prepare our hearts, and again, teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, imagine the scene. Israel, they've been waiting for thousands of years. Really, if you open up your Bible, ever since Genesis 3, they've been waiting for a redeemer that the Lord would send to them so you put yourself there, and there's this massive coronation parade is what it is. And Jesus, is, he's coming, and they see him from the city, and they're saying to each other, there he is. He's coming. He's here. And they're singing. They're shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. You might imagine trumpets, golden armor, right? I mean, he's coming to defeat Rome, chariots, soldiers. That's what a coronation parade is. But no... Instead, our king rides a foal. So that's our first point today. Our king rides a foal. That's from verses 4 and 5. They bring Jesus the donkeys, the mother and the colt. And verses 4 and 5 say this. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal, Of a beast of burden. Now, Zechariah continues on in this passage and he talks about how the Lord is coming to establish his rule on the earth. And it's going to be a peaceful rule. That's what they're waiting for. But there's something weird going on, there's something odd and unexpected here. Remember, this is a coronation parade, this is the King of Kings. The scriptures say that every nation will be put under his feet. He's the most powerful king in human history. And what do you see? What do you imagine? Kings ride chariots. They ride beautiful, powerful horses. And they wear armor. Olive leaves, you know, on the crowns. Well, I looked up on the internet um, a picture of one of the rulers of Rome uh, on his horse. And this is is what you would expect a coronation parade to look like. They they come in, and crowds are chanting and shouting. You know, they're um, they're there to celebrate victory. It's beautiful. And yet our Lord, the King of kings, he comes in on a donkey, but not even a donkey, on a colt. Uh, I also looked up a picture of this because it's kind of funny. I mean, my first thought when I looked this up, um, hopefully it was older than that one, because I was thinking, can that even support a man? (laughs) Right? That was my first thought. You're like, how is the Lord going to ride this into a city? this animal is called a beast of burden. They're used to carry your load. They're used to even potentially plow a field or something like that, but not to carry a king. That's what we see. And the crowds welcome him. Why, why did Jesus do this? Uh, like I said, this is, this is a fulfillment of prophecy and, and so maybe the, the question then is, well, why did he do it in this way? Why is that the prophecy? I think, you know, the Lord maybe was trying to tell his people something. Maybe, maybe we should take a step back and we should think, maybe this isn't a normal king, right? And so Jesus is coming to establish his kingdom. God is coming to finally rescue his people. The long-awaited king, but what are they missing? I was telling uh, my wife, Rebecca, just last week on the way to church that I used to think all the time how cool it would be if uh, John Mayer, I don't know if you're all familiar with John Mayer, the musician, if, if he became a Christian. And I'm sure we've all thought things like that. You know, I was thinking, he's one of the best songwriters there is. He's famous. Uh, what wonderful things the Lord could do with him, right? Right? But what am I missing? I'm reminded that Israel chose Saul as their first king. He was the tallest. He was the best looking. He looked like a king. So he was the king. God used Rahab, the prostitute, to save his people. God chose an old man, Abraham, and his barren older wife to start his nation they were going to have descendants as numerous as the stars right why why does God love irony throughout the scriptures we see that God finds a lot of pleasure in using people of little consequence to carry out his plan in other words God can use each of us Now, don't get me wrong. It would be great to see John Mayer come to know the Lord. I think it's okay to want to be well-liked and have a good reputation and things like that. But we do need to recognize that God works in ways that we don't often expect. So Jesus enters on a foal. And the crowds go nuts. The second thing that happens is that the crowd welcomes Jesus Look at verses 8 through 11 for this. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. Of Galilee, And just as a side note, that in and of itself is irony. Um, one, of, one of Jesus' disciples, when he, when he heard about Jesus, said, can anything good come from Nazareth? <laughs> so the fact that that's even in here is, is pointing to the same thing. So they come out, and they're coming to meet Jesus and to usher him into Jerusalem. And this is what you do when a king is coming to uh, be announced as king or uh, announcing a victory. They go out and they meet him, and they bring him back into the city and just because I think it's interesting, I think it's worth noting that in First Thessalonians, the same thing actually happens when Jesus comes again. when it says that we will be caught up in the clouds to meet Him I don't know if you know what I'm talking about that's actually not talking about rapture. It's not us like going up and then going away somewhere That's this exact same scene happening at the end. We go up, we meet our Lord and we bring him back to the New Jerusalem. So for your information. <laughs> This past week, Josiah and and Rebecca were teaching the children that Hosanna means, oh, save. And so the crowds are shouting that the, the Lord has come to save us from Rome, finally. And so then the picture that we have is that the king is approaching his throne. He's coming into the city. The people are rejoicing. They're on the cusp of victory. So how do we get from here in just a few days to probably a crowd of almost the same makeup chanting a different chant. Crucify him. Crucify him. What happened? Jesus didn't meet their expectations. They wanted a political figure. They wanted Jesus to come in and start a revolution and to defeat Rome right then and right there. And I think that we hear that and we think, oh, you guys, you missed it. I can't believe you thought that. Right? I think all of us think that to some degree. And we know, we know that they're ignoring scriptures about the Messiah as a spiritual leader to bring spiritual blessings as well, right? I do fear that sometimes we ignore the scriptures, though, where Jesus is actually described as a political leader. I think because of the you know, separation of church and state and things like that in the air, in the privatization of religion, if you will, we want a clean separation. We want, we want Christianity over here, the God stuff over here, and then over here we want the way that we run our business. We want politics. We want all of this other stuff, and they're not, they're not going to meet. But the scriptures won't allow it. And so I I believe that every single policy, every bill that goes before Congress must be thought of in reference to the word of God. So we see the Jews limiting their Savior and we think they're fools, but we do it too. They've been waiting for thousands of years for God to send their Messiah But they didn't expect him to be quite so thorough a savior. And I think there's some subtlety to what's going on here, right? Like they're just excited because Jesus is answering the prophecy. He's here. They're not thinking about the fold. They're not thinking about things like that. So it's subtle. But Jesus is going to make his unexpectedness a lot more explicit. The third thing he does is that he goes in and Jesus reclaims the temple. Verses 12 and 13, it says this, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. So I think it needs to be asked, like, why, why does he go straight to the temple? You know, his triumphal entry is happening, and it's this huge celebration. And Jesus goes in, and he upsets the temple. Like, what, what's going on there? Well, the purpose of the outer court in the temple is for the Gentiles, who are a part of Israel, to be able to go in and pray. They couldn't quite go into the inner courts where the Jews were allowed, but they could still go and they could maybe smell the burnt offerings, for example. They could hear what's going on. They could get a sense of the way that God deals with his people. God designed the outer courts for the Gentiles to get a foretaste of God before the resurrection of Jesus. But instead that's actually where the Jews had set up their market. I think it would be one thing if maybe they were outside of the temple, right? That's convenient. You need a pigeon, you buy a pigeon. But it was more than that. They were saying, God can't love you. God can only love us. R.C. Sproul wrote that the Jews hoped that the Messiah would cleanse the temple of the Gentiles. But Jesus cleansed the temple for the Gentiles. And so as Jesus is coming in, he's thinking, I'm coming in, and in a week, I'm dying to reconcile all people to myself. And he can hear the sheep and the pigeons. The temple is the symbol of Israel. Israel. And so this is all hanging over his head as he comes in, so of course he goes straight to the temple. Of course he does that. The prophecy Jesus quotes from is in Isaiah chapter 56, and I think it would be worth reading later if you get a chance, but um, for reference, the title is actually called Salvation for Foreigners. (laughs) If you can imagine where, where Jesus is going when he quotes from that passage. I want to read a few things, just highlight a couple of things from the passage. Isaiah wrote wrote this. Thus says the Lord, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, he's God's, say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. In other words, don't let him feel left out. Don't let him say that, welcome him. He goes on. The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, these I will bring to my holy mountain, that is Jerusalem, Zion, this place. And I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And so Jesus is on the way to the cross. He's on the way to die for all kinds of people. All kinds. And he sees what's happened to the temple and he is deeply affected and upset at the hoarding of the blessings of God. From the very beginning, when God called Abraham, he said that he's going to bless him so that he would bless the nations. The purpose never changed. And so they hadn't simply forgotten to bless the nations. That's not what's going on here. They were gritting their teeth, and they were saying, no, you cannot know our God. You can't know God. I think it, it brings us to tears, or it ought to, when we see what they're doing. When we get an understanding of what's going on It's painful. However, are there people that we think don't deserve to know God? Are there people that we kind of want to pay for their own sins? And I think when I say that, most of us, we're like, whoa, no way. That's crazy. You know, I want everybody to know God. But I have felt indignant, along with the Pharisees, Uh, Most of you have probably heard of of Ted Bundy. He, about I don't know, 25 years ago, he he raped and murdered a number of young women, and you know he was caught and he was put on death row. And as he was waiting his turn, apparently he became a Christian. And, I mean, when I, when I hear that, I just think about, you know, I'm sure of those young women, they probably had a believing father and mother, you know, and they hear Ted Bundy. They've been just wrestling and grieving and trying to forgive this man, and then they hear Ted Bundy becomes a Christian. And so Ted Bundy is their brother in the Lord. They've taken comfort that God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And they say, yes, you will. But the Lord has put away his sin. It's gone. And so that grieving father and mother, they will stand beside Ted Bundy and they'll say, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They'll worship the Lord together. I think on the one hand, we say, you know, praise God. (laughs) God can save anyone. And on the other hand, I think we maybe squirm. And if we're not careful, we're doing exactly the same thing that the Jews have done. We, like the Pharisees, see... The wonderful things that he did. In verse 15, it says that. And we, like the Pharisees, are indignant. And what's happening here is that I think that we are overestimating our own deservedness. We think we're better than we are. We think we get grace, but that guy doesn't. Our humble Lord is on his way to the cross upon which he will reconcile all kinds of people to himself. Rich, poor, smart, dumb, doesn't matter. All kinds of people. The Lord made and loves all kinds of people. Jesus defies our expectations by being a humble king. He doesn't come on a chariot On a beautiful horse, he's a humble king. Jesus defies our expectations by being the all-encompassing king. He's over everything. And he often defies our expectations by saving the most wicked, the most weak, the least intelligent, those whom we would deem the least worthy. So, brothers and sisters, this week, let us meditate on how our humble Savior challenges our pride. We can meditate on the areas of our life that we have refused to allow Jesus to influence, and the people in our lives that we refuse to bless. And finally, Let's rejoice in our King who despite our countless flaws did come, was crowned as King, is our King and that He died to save us and He continues to transform us more and more into the likeness of Himself. Let's pray. Father, we are We're so thankful just to hear about how you flip our expectations on their heads because you're wiser than we are, because because you're just different from us, Lord. We thank you that you're different. We thank you that you forgive even us. Lord, I pray that this week as we meditate on and consider our walk towards Easter Sunday where we'll discuss the way you suffered for us, I just pray, Lord, that we would be changed and transformed by the truth of your word and by your spirit applying it to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.